Dear loving Father in heaven, it's really a joy to be here tonight to see people who are excited about being with you in the garden and learning more about you, learning more about the lifestyle, the, the blessings of the life you originally designed for us to have. Father, thank you for all the work that has been done to make this conference possible for the uh, sacrifice of time and, and money. Thank you for bringing everybody safely here. Thank you for um, just providing this beautiful place. So nice here, Father. I already feel your presence here, and I'm so grateful for that, Father. And I just pray that tonight and every meeting and throughout all our time of, of um, fellowshipping and talking and networking, Father, may you be in the midst of it all. And Father, draw us closer to you as a result of us being here. May you pour out a special blessing. May your spirit be here. And Father, help me tonight. You know my limitations, and um, they are many. I just pray that you will take over, and I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I didn't know if I was going to make it. Um, as I took my first leg of my flight two days ago, uh, there was, um, I guess, some bad weather, and I got stuck in L.A. The plane arrived right when the plane that I was supposed to be on to come here was leaving. So I had to stick around in LA. And, uh, but by God's grace, we made it here and arrived this morning, drove up here and have been here for a couple of hours. And so I'm excited to be here. I know the Lord is doing something special. Um, excuse me a second, get this turned on. Um, and I'm really excited to see the agricultural movement spreading around the world um, excited to see all you here in Australia, some Kiwis. I know there's three of us here. Are there any more than anyone else who's a Kiwi here? Praise the Lord. Feel more at home. Actually, the beauty of the nature around here is so close to what I'm used to in New Zealand. I feel really at home here. But anyway, what I wanted to say was God is doing something special, spreading this around the world. I got an email um, maybe two weeks ago in Austria they're organizing a conference there, and it's for the German-speaking countries of Switzerland, Germany, and Austria, and it's going to be happening at the uh, Bogenhofen uh, College there, the seminary, and uh, so that's being organized, and it's, I think it's starting January 7, if I'm remembering correctly. So God is doing something, uh, and also with um, Jamaica, they've been uh, they've had two conferences, more than two conferences actually, they have a program that's called SOSTIC, Save Our Schools Through um, Industry and Commitment. Save Our Schools, I missed miss something out, SOSTIC. Anyway, it's an agricultural movement that the conference has initiated because their schools were in financial difficulty and they were reading through the Spirit of Prophecy through the book Education, and they said, you know, we're not doing agriculture. We're not following God's plan. And he says that if we do it, then our schools will have a different showing. And so they instituted this plan, and uh, many of their schools now have uh, a greenhouse. They call it a greenhouse. It's a tropical country. They don't need a greenhouse. But uh, it's a shelter, of, uh, basically a plastic roof with some shade cloth around the outside to protect their crops from the... Uh, tropical storms and rains, and they're growing peppers and a few other things there, and 
it's taking off and God is doing a special work and, and it's bringing in revenue to help their schools stay afloat and pay off some debt. So I'm really excited to see that God is, is bringing back, slowly but surely, bringing back the way of education that, um, that he uh, ordained for us to have. And tonight, um, what I share with you tonight may have a, a little bit of an a, uh, educational slant to it, but... Um, that's what I'm involved in at Weimar, running the farm there. I don't run the farm just for the sake of enjoying farming as much as I do. Uh, I'm doing it because I really believe and I'm convicted that it's the very best kind of education that young people can have. And, um, you know, when I heard the, uh, the video, the music video, first heard it when it was played in um, Florida, um, it really brought a tear to my eyes to see young people out in the garden, cheerful, you know, working. It's hard work. It's toil. There's, you know, there's sweat involved. But to do that kind of work cheerfully because the Lord has blessed that kind of work, it does something to a person's character. It does something for them and draws them closer to the Lord. And the Lord's able to work for us. You know, we can, we can make our kids work in the garden. We can force them to do it and uh, it'll be a miserable experience for them and they won't get what the Lord intends. But doing it cheerfully, what an amazing uh, blessing that is. Well, I better get into this because time is ticking by. I don't know when I'm supposed to stop. I see a clock at the back there. Uh, is it 8 o'clock that we're at now? Is it 8.30 that we finish? Who's, Rod, are you around? 8, 8.30? When I'm done, well, that's dangerous. Okay, so how many of you, let me, I want to just see, uh, get a bit of an idea of the demographics here um, and what your involvement in agriculture is. How many actual farmers that earn a living from farming do we have here? Could we just, could you just raise your hand? I want to just see, okay. Okay, only those who have come here from afar. Um, how many of you are interested and want to get involved in agriculture as a living? Okay, one. Okay, quite a few of you. Praise the Lord. Um, how many of you garden or active gardeners? Let's see your hands. Okay, quite a few. How many of you are actually here because you want to learn and you're, you're, you're excited to, to learn and get into it? Can I see your hands? Praise God. Well, every one of us are influenced by someone to either be here, to get into the garden, uh, to follow God's plan. Each one of us have a story to tell of what God's doing in our lives to, to bring us to this point and to set our feet on this journey. And um, I'd love to hear your stories. Maybe they're just beginning. But uh, for me, my story, I'm going to share a bit of it with you tonight, goes back, I guess, back to my grandfather. And my grandfather, see if this clicker's working. No, it's not working. There we go. I've got to do the left click. My grandfather, who's passed away a number of years ago, uh, he's a farmer. He was a farmer uh, all his life. And um, I used to love, as a kid, going and visiting the farm where my grandmother and, and, well, my nana, and I guess I can call her nana here, you guys understand that. Um, and uh, I used to love going there. I think I started going from about the age of five and um, just being out in the country. My father's a dentist and he loves farming, but 
we were in the city because that's where he had to be for his dental practice. And um, so I would go there at five years old and, and, and onwards and uh, spend holidays there. And my grandfather, he was very brave. I remember he th put me on the seat of the tractor and said, that's your clutch and there's the brake and that's the, 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 the uh, accelerator there. And a few instructions and walked away and the tractor was off and, I did, and then I forgot everything he told me. <laughs> Um, but anyway, it was exciting to be on the farm to ride the horses. My father was into horses and I really loved it and I, I, I just, I think from that time onwards I just had this love in my heart for the farm and for nature and being out there and um, I think right from that very time I couldn't think of anything else that I wanted to do in life than to farm. Um, but my parents did the same thing to me told me the same thing that my father's parents told him, and that was, no, don't get into farming, there's no money involved in farming, um, you need to get look at something else. Uh, my, my parents were a little bit better than that. They said, um, they said why don't you uh, get a trade or do something that can give you a means of income and then get into farming, and at least you'll have something to support you because farming doesn't, you know, make any money. And so... Uh, I think at that young age I thought, okay, or well, when I say young age, I was probably about 13 when I was starting to think about what course, what direction I was going to go. And uh, initially I thought, I know, I'll be a vet. I'd like to be a vet because I can work with animals and I love working with animals and that'll be a job I can do in the country. But um, there was a teacher who, um, that he was a young teacher, I guess he was a fresh graduate, who... Um, when we were talking about the different things that, uh, we, uh, that we were interested in doing, he said to me, you won't be a vet. You don't take your studies very seriously and it takes a lot of study to do that. And, he, and so he gave me a very negative thought towards it and I thought, well, yeah, I guess I don't enjoy studying that much. <laughs> Maybe I should think of something else. And so I, I, wiped, I put that one behind me. Uh, but thinking back about that, I realized that the influence that we have over other people is great. You know, every single one of us have an influence over whether it's our children or friends or whatever. They're just the words that we say can, can send people in a totally different direction than what they're thinking. It can be good or bad. But this uh, man, and maybe it was the Lord's will, but he put me in a different direction. I think if he'd encouraged me and said, you can be a vet, but this is what it's going to take. You're going to have to apply yourself. You're going to have to study. You're going to have to do your homework and all that. Maybe I could have gone that direction. But um, anyway, I, I didn't know at that point what I was going to do. And then I thought, okay, I kind of like driving the tractor and I like being around machinery. Uh, maybe I'll be a diesel mechanic because then I can work on tractors and I can be in the country and I can, you know, I can still be involved on in a farm in some, some way. But then I checked out what it took to become a diesel mechanic and how competitive it was. Uh, that didn't work out or didn't appeal to me, I guess, the track to get there. And then, um, as I was about uh, 15 years old, still hadn't decided what I was going to do, um, Murray is here somewhere over there. His father was influential uh, in my life, and he suggested to me, why don't you do an apprenticeship as a fitter-turner machinist, uh, an engineering trade at the sanitarium? He was working there. And so uh, he planted that thought in my head and I thought, yeah, that would be good because I'd already taken night classes in welding. I'd already 
um, taken some engineering courses, uh, night classes, and I uh, thought that would be really good and that would, be, that would go great with farming too. So I went to the sanitarium, I applied, they gave me the job and I don't have time to go into the details, but it was a tremendous blessing to learn a trade that has been just such a blessing to have on the, uh, on the farm because now I have the ability, if I need something, I can make it instead of you know, going to buy or I can modify things and uh, it's just been a tremendous blessing. Um, I would say more about my grandfather, but time, I've got to really move on. And this click clicker is not working. I don't know if I'm pointing in the right direction here. Um, thank you. So, anyway, cut a long story short, as I started, I was converted while I was working at the sanitarium. I was, I was not uh, really a Christian in any way or form um, as a young person and um, did some you know, very shameful things. And, and um, anyway, the Lord came into my life and turned my life around. And I'm really grateful for that. And as I um, went to uh, Weimar College and started to study there and st we had to read through the book Education in one of the classes and started to discover some of the, the gems of truth that the Lord had uh, given us, I read a statement in there and um, I read this, this statement and I thought, wow, this is really a blessing. It says here that the Hebrews had been instructed of God by his servant Moses to train up their children to industrious habits that people, that, that people were thus led to look upon an indolence that is laziness, as a, as a great sin. And their children were all required to learn some trade by which, if necessary, they could gain a livelihood. Those who neglected to do this were regarded as departing from the instruction of the Lord. Labor was considered elevating in its nature, and the children were taught to combine religion and business. In the time of Christ, the Jews, thought, uh, though wealthy, still followed their ancient custom. And then this next statement... Sorry, I'm clicking it the wrong way. Um, this next statement joins it to our day. It says, And now, as in the days of Israel, every youth should be instructed in the duties of practical life. Each should acquire a knowledge of some branch of manual labor by which, if need be, he may obtain a livelihood. This is essential not only as a safeguard against the vicissitudes of life, but from its bearing upon physical, mental, and moral development. Even if it were certain that one would never need to resort to manual labor for his support, still he should be taught to work. Without physical exercise, no one can have a sound constitution and vigorous health, and the discipline of well-regulated labor is of no less essential to the securing of a strong and active mind and a noble character. So I was very, very grateful that um, without it being... Um, planned that way, I was very grateful that the Lord and His providence actually allowed me to learn a trade, allowed me to, to have some time on a farm as a young person, learn how to work. I mean, I just loved working on the farm. There was nothing more than I loved than being out making hay, you know, and I remember at 13 years old, I was excited because I could pick up a bale of hay and I could lift it over my head and throw it up onto the trailer. And um, my father was too trusting of me and uh, you know, at 13 years old, loading this, this trailer with hay along with the other men, we had barns at the back of the farm. We had a, um, 
thousand acre farm and at the back of the farm there were some hay barns and he sent me at 13 with a tractor and there were steep hills and with my young cousins on the, on the trailer at the back and we'd go, you know, it would take us an hour maybe to get to the back of the farm and offload all these bales into the, the barn and come back. But I, there was nothing more than I loved to do that and then sharing sheep and, um, you know, some days our, our days would start at five in the morning and, and uh, we'd crawl into bed 9 or 10, or 9.30 or 10 at night and the next morning wake up at the same time and you know it never fazed me as a young person, I just got up excited every day and I just loved it because somehow God had instilled in my heart this love of being in nature, the love of the hard work and I'm very very grateful for that because it has been a tremendous blessing to me. Um, I see young people today, many young people um, and I work with a lot of them at Weimar, and some of them have never done anything physical in their lives. I feel so sorry for them. Some of them have never handled a spade or a shovel, and I have to actually teach them how to stand on it and dig it into the ground. It's such a shame. Um, they've missed out on so much, and to start at, an old, you know, at nearly an adult age is, is just such a shame. If you're a young person here and your parents are taking you into the garden, you are so blessed. You are so tremendously blessed. God does something so special when you're in the garden. He does something so magical, so powerful, it just changes lives. Um, you know, uh, a friend of mine in New Zealand, he was managing the uh, Adventist Retirement Village, and he said to me, you know, there's something really, uh, something that I observe that's really neat. He said, um, you know, of all these, these elderly people that are in this retirement village, he said, I've noticed something that the, the, the people that get out and they're working in their garden, he said they're always cheerful, like the song, always cheerful. They've got their mind faculties are still, you know, intact. He said, and um, they just seem to radiate this happiness. And the ones that don't, they seem to have problems and, you know, and, and so on. And he was just saying, what a difference being in the garden makes. You know, there's something very special that happens when we're in the garden. I think of about, um, I think about the young people that I see. I see people come to, uh, young people come to Weimar, to the academy, to the college, from all different walks of life. Some of them have been homeschooled, some of them have had the privilege of having a, a garden where they were uh, as part of their education, some of them didn't. But there's a night and day difference. The young people that, that have um, been homeschooled and, and, and worked in a garden, they're more focused, they're more mature, they seem to uh, be more confident and, and tackle tasks they've never done without it phasing them. And uh, it just, there's just something powerful about kids that, that you know, spend time in the garden with their parents at a young age. I remember also a friend of mine who's a pastor in New Zealand, uh, he went to Fulton College. And while he was there, um, he didn't have a lot of money and he had to grow a garden to, to supply the food of the family. He said, I had to get up at five o'clock and start working in the garden for two hours before I'd come in and get, you know, have breakfast and get ready to go to, to school. And he said, while he was there, he was married and he had, um, had a couple of kids. And I think he might have added to them while he was there. But um, he said his, his young son that was two years old, when they first started doing the garden, he said he would go and wake him up. And even though it was five, uh, five o'clock in the morning and his boy would be rubbing his eyes and, you know, kind of, what are you doing, Dad, waking me up at this time? <laughs> he would take him out because it was the only real quality time he could spend with his boy. And he'd take him out into the, to the garden and they would work in there for two hours. And, 
And so he did that for, uh, for three years that he was there at uh, Fulton. And he said, you know what? My other kids never got that experience. And he said, that boy was so helpful in the home. He always was ready and eager to do whatever we asked him to do. It was, there was nothing too hard for him to do. When, you know? and whereas the other kids, they were kind of lazy and they didn't, you know, they didn't do it. There's something really special and really powerful that happens when kids spend time in the garden. One more thought I want to share with you about that. I've seen kids come to our school, even I've seen some older, that come depressed. And a lot of our young people today are depressed, very depressed. And um, I've seen one kid that was actually suicidal. And the teachers uh, actually called me several times and said, we don't know what to do. We've talked to him, we've prayed with him, we've done, and he's just like, he just wants to die. Um, can you please do something? And so I would go and I would uh, get him and I would walk with him all the way to the farm and then we would just spend some time on the farm and I talked to him about the Lord and how uh, everything he's doing here and how he, the same things he does in our lives. And I just talked to him and as he would be there in that environment and looking, at, he would be like his face would start calming down and he would come back to reasonable thinking and those suicidal thoughts would go because the you know, the angels would just come around and there would be a beautiful uh, environment and peace that would just surround us as we were there on the farm. And I've seen other kids that just their, their countenance was down, they would hardly speak or interact with other kids, and um, I had several of them assigned to the farm like that, and over the course of a year of being on the farm in their second year, they were so night and day from what they were. They were all of a sudden radiant. They were excited. They got into their work. And just a, an amazing difference that God works. It's just something so special, so powerful, so magical, you know, happens when, when kids are in the garden. And I can't encourage you parents enough to spend lots of time with your kids in the garden. Make it a happy time. Make it a cheerful time. Well, I loved my time at the sanitarium learning a trade, I loved working with machinery, and I would have been quite happy to stay there for the rest of my life and work there, except I still had this love in my heart to be, you know, to have a farm. And I had this dream that one day I was gonna buy a farm, I was gonna save up, work hard, and buy a farm, and you know, by the time I was 40, that was kind of my, in my head, that was my goal. I would be on my own farm, and I would, um, you know, I would uh, live my happy life that I thought I would have on a farm. But I was unconverted, and you know, I, I remember from a little child going to church, we didn't have religion really in our home at all, we went to church, that was about it, and, um, but hearing something in Sabbath school, verses, different teachings, and I remember while I was thinking about this dream and I was working, I was doing actually at the time four till midnight shift, the afternoon shift, and during the day I was running a wreck, wrecking yard and um, with this goal of making money. And as I was thinking about it, it's like the Lord, the Holy Spirit just started speaking to me and saying, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And I was thinking about that and I thought, what if I do make the money that I'm hoping to make? And what if I do buy this farm? And what if I do get there? And then Jesus comes back and it all burns up. All this hard work and all this for nothing, you know, and the Lord was working on me. And, um, and, and then through a, a series of other circumstances, I, have, I eventually gave my heart to the Lord. He had to humble me and um, 
It's a long story. I won't go into the details. But it was while I was working there that the Lord changed my life. And all of a sudden I realized, you know, now the Lord's in charge. I don't know what he has in mind, but I guess I'll put this farming thing, um, I'll save it for the earth made new. And I don't know what the Lord has in mind, but I'll, I'll wait till then. And it was while I was working there that uh, another man who was a farmer, sheep farmer, um, he, uh, I looked up to him and he, uh, I went and spent a week with him on, the, on his farm uh, for some mentoring as a young Christian. And he, um, he talked to me, his son, who I'd never met, was at Weimar as a student. And he, um, he said to me, why don't you think about going to Weimar? And I, it was the furthest thing from my mind and I didn't want to, to go there. He said, well, why don't you pray about it? Why don't you see if the Lord wants you to go there? I thought, well, okay, I'll pray about it. But I thought I'd just tell him I prayed about it just to get him off my back so he wouldn't, you know, annoy me anymore about it. And so I prayed once, and that was all I was going to pray. And then all of a sudden, the Lord just kept impressing it upon me until I couldn't get it out of my head. And so, so finally, I, I knelt down. I said, Lord, if you want me to go, you open the doors, you open the way, and I'll go. And so he led me off to, to Weimar. And um, there's a picture of the, the front gate. And uh, while I was at Weimar, some things that I learned there really changed my life. And some things that you're going to learn here at this conference are really going to change your life. I know they are. And it was while I was there, I, I, I studied. I was going to study for a year or two and, and then go back to New Zealand. And uh, I had some ideas of, of what I thought the Lord was leading me to do. And um, so I graduated and I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And um, this man, uh, Robert Montague, was the uh, president at the time. And he, um, he had been reading through the Spirit of Prophecy, education, and, and so on. And he said, you know, we can improve our program. We can get closer to what the Lord's original plan uh, was. And he asked me, he said, I want you to, to be our work education director. Well, in my mind, I thought, why work education? That's not really a ministry. I didn't come here to Weimar to learn how to be a work education director. Uh, and so I said, no. And he said, well, look, I want to hire you for two weeks, two weeks only. And during that two weeks, the only thing I want you to do is I want you to study the Spirit of Prophecy, the Bible, Adventist history, and any other schools that have a work-study program, and then I want you to write up a proposal of what we can do to improve our program here at Weimar, and uh, that's all I want you to do for two weeks. And so I said, okay, I guess I don't have anything else uh, planned right now. So I agreed to do that, and I did. And that study completely changed my life and led me in a different path, and that's probably why I'm here and involved in agriculture partially uh, today. One of the books that I read was this book here. How many of you read this book or have seen it before? A few of you have seen it. Powerful book talking about Madison College and um, the work-study program they had there. Uh, you know, Sutherland McGann, I think of them as Caleb and Joshua. Uh, men who stepped out in faith to fully follow the Lord's plan while the other Adventist schools were kind of dragging their feet and, and not wanting to, uh, to do it all. And so they go off down in the south and, and start this farm. I read that book. I was so inspired. I thought, wow, this is amazing. Um, and the, the things that God accomplished through 
people who fully followed him and all the different institutions and, and missionaries that went out from that school, just uh, amazing the, um, the, the, the influence that that school had. And I read this uh, next statement that I'm going to share with you. And uh, this also really impacted me. Because, you know, I, th- I originally thought, you know, work education is for those who, you know, maybe they want to learn some skill or they just need to work their way through school. But I read this and it really changed my life. In many cases, parents who are wealthy do not feel the importance of giving their children an education in the practical duties of life as well as in the sciences. They do not see the necessity for the good of their children's minds and morals and for their future usefulness of giving them a thorough understanding of useful labor. This is due their children that should misfortune come, they could stand forth in noble independence knowing how to use their hands If they have a capital of strength, they cannot be poor even if they have not a dollar. Powerful. And it made me think, is there a time coming when we will not have a dollar that we can spend? Is there a time coming like that? Do we understand that as Adventists? It's coming. How soon? We don't know. It could be soon. But our young people need to learn how to be practical, how to use their hands, how to grow food, how to live through this time that's coming upon this world, we're told is an overwhelming surprise. They need to know how to stand in that time and not be pressured because they feel so inadequate, pressured into succumbing to to just be able to eat. If they have that noble independence, it will be much easier. And so I read that and then I read um, about another school and I'll share with, it's several, um, several slides long, but I want to share this because this really impacted me as well. Because we have several schools as examples. We have Avondale, and I'm looking forward to hearing Alan present on, on Avondale. Um, we have Madison College that really went all the way and followed the Lord and his plan. But here I found this article uh, in, as I was researching that also talks about a school that really embraced agriculture as the ABC. I'm going to read through it. It might be a little bit tedious, but I want you to get uh, what they did and what the difference it made. It says, as we have presented in these articles, the instruction which the Lord has given us regarding our schoolwork, it must have often been often felt by the reader that in many respects, we have not carried out this instruction in a practical way. It has seemed impossible to put the work into operation as our schoolwork is now conducted. To do this necessitates changes in our work in various ways. This is not surprising, however, for our whole work as a people is reformatory, requiring continual advancement. Change in the school year, in one of our former articles, Some queries were mentioned which could only be answered by suggesting that the school year coincide with the agricultural season. In no other way can study in agriculture be the A, B, and C of the education given in our schools. 
We need not repeat the various statements which can only be conformed to by having our schools in session and the students in attendance in the spring, summer and fall. An educational campaign is needed for our people to enable them to see the necessity of having their children in school during these months of the year. When alone, they can receive the lessons which the Lord says they should be taught. Many objections were raised inasmuch as this is different from customs of the past. There has long been a feeling on the part of many that the school year should be thus changed, but the movement has not been generally undertaken for lack of support from the patrons of the school. In the school with which the writer is connected, this subject has been studied and discussed for the past three years, with the result that the people of the conference have given their approval to the change suggested and the school is now running on this basis. Our present year began March 30 and the blessings we have already received as the direct result of the change have exceeded our expectations. The Lord has moved upon the hearts of the brethren and a goodly attendance marks the first year of this new order. Nearly all the students now in school will remain through the summer and fall. Now, with, the new, with new full classes beginning at this time and with schoolwork closely related to the opening season of growth, with some necessary changes in the daily program, we find a life and inspiration never before experienced. Our farm is a delightful lesson book and the consecutive nature study of spring, summer and fall enables us to make the schoolwork not only more profitable but far more delightful. We now have the, an opportunity to open before our students' minds the treasure of knowledge and pleasure associated with country life. Our Saviour seems much nearer when study and recitation can be conducted amid surroundings of trees, birds and flowers than in a poorly ventilated classroom in the winter season. School discipline is entirely different. Christ and his redeeming love can be brought more vividly and constantly before the minds of the students and thus the great end of all our work is more readily reached. What's the end of our educational work? What is the goal? Why do we have Christian schools, Adventist schools? There's really two reasons. Can anyone suggest what they are? Right, the reproduction of his character in us. The kids have to be converted, don't they? If they're not already. Many of our kids today need conversion. And then our schools are to train them to do what? To be missionaries for the Lord, to share the gospel. And so this, notice this, and thus the great end of all our work is more readily reached. Another change will be in the studies pursued by the pupils, more of nature study, agriculture, horticulture, floriculture, etc. being introduced and less of other studies at one time. We must make the book of nature stand next to the Bible. Mental and physical instruction must be balanced in the student's daily life. One more slide, I think. All the work of the school farm should be done by the school and made educational. Students should be brought into contact with everything that is being done and should be directed to study not alone the best methods, but also the science and above all the gospel lessons involved.
The instruction is to be given by the regular teachers of the school and not left to some farm manager of practical ability, but without experience or ability in teaching with, with all other members of the faculty occupied merely in literary work. If the students are to get the education that is called for, it must be given by the same teachers who conduct the literary classes. Every member of the faculty must come in close daily contact with the work or he will be unable to draw upon the daily work for the object lessons of spiritual truth and apply them effectively. This suggestion calls for much change and adaptation and demands careful consideration. The greatest demands of this phase of educational reform are upon the teachers themselves. You know, I read this article and I was like, wow. You know, if you understand the spirit of prophecy, if you've read the book Education and the Councils, it's like they just grabbed hold of it all and just were practically applying it. And I don't know where the school was. I've done research to try and find if, I, if there are more articles about it. I found this in an old Review and Herald, um, uh, you know, uh, writing there. And uh, I'd love to find out how long they continued this program for and, and what were the results. But we do know from Avondale College, we have this statement here that, um, I'm going to skip over this one. Um, we have the statement here, sorry, it must be further down, I was expecting it to come. Notice this, um, this statement. The manual uh, training work, which uh, agriculture was the foundational one. It was to be agriculture and other industries. The influence for good that the manual training work has exerted over the students overbalances the financial loss and would overbalance it if it were 10 times as large as it is. How many souls this work has helped to save, you will never know till the day of judgment. When students are kept busy in useful labor, the Lord has opportunity to work with them. And that is so true. This um, particular statement here was written to the Healdsburg College um, Board who were considering dropping the um, manual training programs because it was costing them money and they were losing money. And Alan White wrote to them, no, no, don't do that. Even if, if, even if you're losing 10 times as much, it's still worth it because souls are going to be saved in the kingdom not just the souls of the kids, but as they go out from their training, they will better, be better equipped. So here's the um, statement that I was looking for, um, talking about Avondale, who followed this very same plan. Every term of school which we have held at Avondale has resulted in the conversion of nearly every student in the school. In some terms, this has been the case without exception, and in others, there have not been more than two or three exceptions. It's so powerful, so powerful, I can't, you know, uh, emphasize it as much as, as it needs to be. And um, I've seen little glimpses of this, but there's so much more. You know, if our teachers would just do a little bit and go out, even if it was for a day, a couple of hours and one day a week, or just a little bit with the kids in a garden, uh, it makes such a difference. I had the um, privilege of doing that at one of our schools in, in Michigan, and it just was really, really powerful. Another man who had an influence in my life towards agriculture, his name was Ian Jones. He has passed away now, but he was at Weimar for a while, and Ian Jones 
uh, was the first one to introduce me to some of the agricultural quotes that were outside of um, the book Education and some of the educational statements. And um, he was teaching agriculture at Weimar and um, some of the statements he, he shared with me really blew me away. But as he shared with me about the Alan White planting method, how many of you have heard of that? Quite a few of you. Well, he was the one who introduced me to that um, statement and we actually, uh, I helped him do some experiments to see what, how does this work that trees are stimulated to grow bigger and produce more fruit and, and so on. And he had this hypothesis that these layers of soil actually created electricity and stimulated the plant's growth through electricity. And so I was excited to work with him and we dug these, these holes and we had a number of test beds where we had one that had the layers in and we put a, a probes in the bottom and in the top layer. And then we had a micro voltmeter that we measured, you know, the volts. And then we had one that was exactly dug the same way and didn't have the layer of rocks in it, but it had all the, the layers of topsoil and soil with dressing and so on. And then we had another one that didn't have any. It was dug, but it was without any uh, topsoil in the bottom and, and so on. So we had the probes in, in those and we might have had a fourth one, I can't remember. But anyway, as we measured each one of those, when we came to the one that was done the way Ellen White was shown in vision, um, it actually had three times the microvolts that the one that didn't have any, uh, any layer of stone that was an insulating uh, value. And so it was exciting to see. And he had um, done some research uh, in the scientific materials and he'd found that there were studies done that plants respond to electricity and there's electricity in the soil naturally. And the other interesting thing about it was that we noticed that the polarity was reversed in the, uh, the, with the layer of stones and, and so on. And uh, I don't know if you've seen this video, uh, a man by the uh, name of Lynn Hoag has put this um, video together. It's called Planting by the Blueprint. I don't know if you can buy it on Amazon or somewhere, but I'm sure you can get your hands on it. Um, but he teaches, he was taught by um, Herbert White, who was Alan White's grandson, how to do this when he was a boy of 13 years old. And ever since then, he, everywhere he's gone, he's been planting these trees this way and teaching other people how to do it. But uh, anyway, it was exciting to learn about that and I've planted a number of trees that way and I've seen that it really does make a difference. In fact, I'll share this with you. Uh, hopefully I've got enough time. Um, at Weimar, I discovered in our orchard, I had a couple of trees that I, I removed in the orchard that um, as I dug down, I wanted to dig and plant the replacement trees, the Ellen White method. And when I got down to nearly three feet deep, I found round, smooth river rocks, a layer of them. And I discovered that one of the orchards had been planted that way. And then there was an, another orchard in, a, in a, another location that actually had better soil. But the interesting thing was those, those apple trees were the same age, but they were not as healthy and uh, they, they had bore in them and, and, and other things. Whereas the ones that um, were planted the Allen White method, they were bigger, healthier, the fruit were bigger and, and, and so on. And then I noticed as I dug out the roots out of the ground that just below the surface, here's this big ball, like uh, just this big ball, whereas the other one just came down you know, the trunk came to the ground and the roots went out and there was no ball, but the ones planted the Allen White, and I removed several of them, they all had this, this ball just below the surface. It was like they were just soaking up all that energy from the, 
electricity and nutrients there right below the surface. So it really does make a difference. I won't say more about it because I could speak the rest of the time about it. Notice uh, here, Ellen White says, electricity, God creates, that God gives life to the seed. He, God, employs many unseen agencies to make the seeds apparently thrown away living plants. First appear the blade, then the air, and then the full corn in the air. God creates the electricity that gives life to the seed. So it's not some far-fetched thing. God creates electricity to stimulate growth, and this method actually increases it threefold and uh, causes these trees to produce more. Um, and I'm going to skip over this one for the sake of time as well. This is a little bit about uh, research that was done um, with electricity stimulating. Um, okay. So, carry on with my story a little bit more. Um, after working at Weimar for two years, I accepted the job as work education director. And, but I didn't see, I wasn't convicted at that time that it was a long-term um, ministry or calling uh, that God was calling me to. I still had in my mind that I wanted to go back to New Zealand, um, pretty hard to leave a beautiful country like that behind. And um, so after two years of working there at Weimar, we did, uh, because God was blessing and leading us to, to, to try to reform and bring us closer to God's plan, we started apprenticeship programs there where kids could do two years while they were studying and, and learn, a, uh, you know, partially learn a trade. Um, and God was doing really some, some amazing things with that program. We had in printing, we had it on, on the farm and mechanics and even in food service. And I can't remember all the areas, but we, we, we put together this program. And there were quite a number of young people that uh, got on board with that and actually through that, working through their summers and, and so on, they were able to pay for a big chunk of their bill, which is also part of the Lord's will with it. And so I started to see the Lord's counsel really working. But um, I kind of went on a detour to New Zealand. I took my wife there. She, um, uh, you know, being away from home was hard, from, hard for her. We went and lived in New Zealand for a year. We bought a 10-acre property in the country and... Um, it was kind of uh, a dream to put our home there and, and, and so on, but she really didn't want to stay. And I realized that I couldn't force her, you know. It was my, my dream, but God hadn't put it on her heart. And so we actually returned back to the States after a year. And, um, and um, let's see if we can get this to come up here. You can see it's beautiful just like around here, beautiful green pasture. We had a place that looks similar to what you can see in the picture there and it was heartbreaking for me not to to stay and uh, you know fulfill this dream but anyway I went back to the states and I went to um, Mission College of Evangelism how many know Pastor Louis Therese if you, he's been over here and visited this uh, godly man was running a school still runs a school um, in uh, Bible for training Bible workers and um, I wanted to learn and, and I wanted to go there. So I went there for four months and that really changed my life too because naturally I'm very kind of shy and timid and not outgoing and I didn't sort of see myself really uh, as an effective soul winner and um, went through this training and, and, and the things that he shared and the methods that he, he uh, taught us 
really opened my eyes to see that anybody, if they're just doing the will of God, anybody can win souls for Jesus. doesn't matter how shy or quiet or whatever you are, God can use you powerfully. And I would encourage young people, if you are um, you know, thinking about the direction the Lord's going to lead you, you, you might have already know what that direction is. But I would really encourage you, I, I believe you have a rise here in Australia, is that right? A rise and, and maybe uh, some other opportunities. But I really encourage you to get Bible worker training because it gives you, a, gives you tools. And if you're a tradesman and you, you, you have to do a job, you need tools. If you don't have your tools, it's like cutting off your hands. You can't do the job. And so getting training was so valuable. And so while I was there, um, Pastor Torres uh, talked to me and he said, I want you to go and interview with two conferences that are looking for uh, someone uh, for pastors. I said, well, I don't feel that I'm called to that. And he started walking me through and reasoning with me. And, and so cut a long story short, I accepted and, and went to these interviews and was offered both positions. And um, so my wife and I prayed and we ended up in Michigan conference. And, um, all right, that's right. And so um, I remembered that Ian Jones had shared this quote with me when we started our work in Michigan. It says, brethren, when you take time to cultivate your garden, thus gaining the exercise needed to keep the system in good working order, you are just as much doing the work of God as in holding meetings. God is our Father. He loves us and does not require any of his servants to abuse their bodies. And so I thought about this and I thought, you know, I'm not going to just go and get a house in the city and, and live there. The Lord wants pastors to have an experience with their gardens as well. And so uh, we found a nice place in just six miles out from the city that we bought. And um, I had a fairly large garden. Didn't know much about it, but I was eager to learn. And um, so we lived there for uh, about four years. And while I was there... I also remembered another statement, and I'll share that with you. Uh, it says here, let the teachers in our schools take their students with them into the gardens and fields and teach them how to work the soil in the very best manner. It would be well if ministers who labor in word and doctrine could enter the fields and spend some portion of the day in physical exercise with the students. So I thought, okay, if this is what the Lord wants, let's do it. And I talked to the teacher of our elementary school, our primary school, and uh, she was excited about it on board. So we, we put together some uh, raised beds and got the kids involved and put this garden um, together. And um, the school had between five and 14 kids, depending on the year. But anyway, we took them into the garden. And I'll tell you what, what a difference it made in these kids' lives. It was such a powerful difference. You know, before we had the garden, through the winter months and, and um, you know, just trying to spend some time with the kids and bond with them, they had a gymnasium with, you know, um, um, basketball and various things. And I, so I would go and play with them with the ball and we'd play different things. But I can tell you that when we went out into the garden, that's where real bonding uh, occurred. That's where the Lord started really impacting their lives. And... Um, I'll cut the story short, but I'll tell you, the parents were so excited about it. A lot of the parents that, um, of these kids, um, they, there was either one parent that was an Adventist and one that wasn't, or one of the kids didn't have Adventist, uh, wasn't an Adventist, the kid on the, on the left there. Um, but the, kid, the, the parents were so excited, they came and they said, you know what, 
something amazing has happened. You wouldn't believe it. I said, what? What happened? And they said, our kids want to eat something that's green. They bring home the stuff that they've been growing in the garden and they want to eat it. We have tried so hard to get them to eat their greens and they won't eat them. And now they want to eat them. And so the parents were so on board, so excited about it. And then the next thing that was really powerful about it, we had a lot of produce just produced in a very small amount of space. And we had members in the church who were uh, poor, who were out of jobs and were struggling, you know, to make ends meet. And so we said, well, just help yourself. And they were taking produce and they were excited about it. And during that period of time that we had the garden there, um, the, the church actually went through a revival, a really powerful revival. And I believe the garden had a part to play. It wasn't the only thing, but the, 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 the church just seemed to open their hearts to the Lord and want uh, more of him. And, and he did wonderful things. And um, I, I don't have time to tell you more about that. But while I was there, um, I went on a mission trip down to South America and I went to a school where they had a work-study program. I was doing a week of prayer. And um, during the day, instead of just sitting around and, and you know, finding other things to do, I went out and I worked with the kids. They worked four hours a day, so I go and work with them. And during that time, I noticed that um, the same thing, the bonding was you know, going on. And this was a mission school, and most of the kids that went there were non-Adventists when they came, and quite a few would get baptized while they were there. But um, while I was there for the week of prayer, there were eight kids that had never made a decision, never given their hearts to the Lord. But during that time, um, our work, working alongside of them, every one of them gave their hearts to the Lord and made a decision for baptism. It was just powerful just working with them in the garden. And again, I saw the Lord... Um, doing a special work. So coming home from there and seeing our kids, we saw some of our kids uh, in the church that would go off to our regular Adventist schools and they would come home during the holidays or they'd finish their study. And I noticed that they were less spiritual. They were more worldly. They were not getting what our education is supposed to give them. And I was thinking, wow, this is not right. And I started praying about it. And then I thought, you know what, I really see the difference that it makes and I regret having left Weimar and I wish that I was back there, you know, because this really makes a big difference in our young people. So I prayed and I said, Lord, I, I, I really see the difference and I'm willing, if you want to lead me back into this kind of work, I'm willing to, to, to follow. If you open the door, I'll, I'll go. So I prayed that prayer. I told my wife and she was like, oh, okay. Um, wasn't that excited about it. And um, so I just let, let it go. And then two years later, after praying that prayer, um, we got a call to go back to Weimar and, um, and to work there. And so that led me to what I'm doing today. Um, I was asked by Dr. Nedley to take over the farm after being there for a few years and, and working with work education and, and administration and so forth. And um, there's a picture of our farm. We have a beautiful view that looks out. You can't see the mountains there, but we look to South Tahoe and there's beautiful snow-capped mountains. It's a, an incredible view and I get to see that every day and enjoy it. Um, but anyway, when Dr. Nedley asked me to take on the farm, I was like really nervous. And I, you know, 
because he wanted, the, the board's vision for the farm was that it would become an industry that would make money that would help Weimar as well as provide employment for students. And I thought, wow, I don't know how to make that happen. And, um, and I told him, I have no experience, you know, to do this. And he said, well, we, we, we have confidence that you will be able to do it. And I said, well, I'll pray about it. And, and uh, so I did. And then I got back to him. The Lord impressed me. Do it. And um, when I prayed about it, the Lord reminded me of this promise. And uh, you may have read this or may not have. There's some amazing promises in the Bible. But this one's specifically for farmers. It says, give ear and hear my voice. Listen and hear my speech. Does the plowman keep plowing all day to sow? Does he keep turning his soil and breaking the clods? When he has leveled its surface, does he not sow the, the black cumin and scatter the cumin, plant the wheat in rows, the barley in the appointed places and the spelt in its place? For he, that is God, instructs him in right judgment. His God teaches him. For the black cumin is not threshed, and so on. And then at the very bottom of this quote, it says, This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. And I have found this to be so true. I started praying, and I make that my daily prayer, to be asking the Lord for wisdom and that he would teach me um, how to farm, how to do it successfully, how to work with him. And, um, and he really has. He's blessed. I mean, I've had an incredible experience on the farm and uh, it, every year it just keeps getting better and improving. And um, I'll share a few of the things with me. But I want you to notice this about wisdom. The Lord teaches us wisdom. How many of you need that wisdom? How many of you need wisdom from God to know how to, to do this kind of work? Notice what it says here. This is a dictionary definition of wisdom. The quality of having what? Experience knowledge and good judgment, the quality of being wise, the soundness of action or decision with regard to the application of, what is it? Experience, knowledge, and good judgment. So what my experience has been that the Lord doesn't just all of a sudden give you without having done the work, the experience. He teaches you as you do the work. And sometimes you make mistakes, sometimes you, and you often make mistakes, the first year I got you know, gung-ho and we planted out thousands of, of brassica plants, had a market for them, and uh, our spring just swung from cold to hot and these plants just, anyway, it didn't work out. I had to plow them under. But I, it was one of the lessons that the Lord had to teach me and he uh, continues to teach me every year. And, and every year you learn something. But the Lord has been amazing because sometimes I'm trying to figure something out and then he'll just flash a picture in my mind. It's like all of a sudden I can see, see it as it should be. Like we had a field that was covered in, you know, uh, springs and bogs. And, and like, how do I lay this field out, you know? Uh, I've got to work around all these uh, wet patches. And then, you know, as I was thinking about it, the Lord just gave me this picture this way and that way. And, and sure enough, it worked out perfect. And um, let me, I want to back up a little bit because I want to tell you how amazing God is. Because I would probably never have gone in, down this path unless the Lord had confirmed it with me over and over and over again. But I was working with the academy and I was convicted that we should be teaching agriculture. But I wasn't, um, I, I was in administration at that time. And um, I had the senior class 
in a, um, I have to give you a few details for you to understand. There was a farm manager there at this, at this time and he wasn't doing anything, he wasn't growing anything, he'd just really been cleaning up the farm. Anyway, I asked for a piece of land that we could teach agriculture to the kids. So I was given the worst piece of land on the whole farm. It was down the bottom of a, of a, um, a valley where it was cold and there was even a spring that was running through it and it was a bog. And he said, you can use that. And I thought, oh no. So we had to re-divert the spring and, and get it out of there and it was just clay and mud and muck and, and, uh, and um, I was kind of grumbling inside but I knew we needed to teach agriculture so I was using this piece of land. And while I was there working with the kids and in my heart thinking, why Lord, why do we get this worst piece of land you know, to, to do this? And all of a sudden, I almost heard an audible voice. It was so clear that I had to, you know, look around and see where it came from. And it was, don't, this is what it, the voice said to me. Don't worry, before long, you'll have the whole farm. And I thought, what? Is he crazy? You know, where'd this come from? And I had to think, Lord, are you saying this to me? And um, so I just brushed it out. I thought I was just having crazy thoughts. And um, sure enough, one month later from that, when that happened, the farm manager quit and he left and no, they didn't replace him and we were able to leave from there and go and get the very best sunny, best soil uh, location on the farm and continue our class. And then it was after that that you know, the board asked me to take over the farm and, and so on and, and run it. So the Lord has just been confirming over and over. And when I prayed for wisdom, one of the things the Lord did was he brought several people into my life who, would, who actually mentored me and taught me some of the very basic, fundamental, but most important um, aspects of agriculture. And if any of you are really seriously going to get into it, I, there's two classes I'd recommend to you. One of them is taking the market gardening and the other one is, is Whitmar's class about soil fertility. But anyway, the guy that the Lord brought into my life, and he just turned up, you know, out of nowhere and um, talked to me. And um, he understood the Albrecht model of, of soil fertility. He, um, he worked with Neil Kinsey, and um, he had a farm nearby. And, and so he came and talked to me, and he even sponsored me to go to a class by Neil Kinsey. He, he sponsored for us having the soil test done for our, you know, to, to have the... Uh, the um, analysis done and, and so on. And I think he even sponsored for a couple of years all the minerals that we needed to put on. And so we did that and what a difference it made. Because I'd been growing before, I'd been composting, I'd been doing you know, the normal gardening thing. And all of a sudden we started growing and got beautiful crops and consistent quality and, and it was just amazing. But um, so the Lord was doing things like this because of asking him for that wisdom. And I believe that the Lord has raised up this agricultural movement so that we could share this knowledge with you, to, to share the things that many of us have, you know, uh, struggled through trying to learn. And, uh, you know, you, you, you spend a long time. You, when you do something wrong one season, you have to wait a whole nother year before you can do it, learn, you know, correct what you did wrong. That, and that's a long time to wait. And so the Lord, I believe, is raising up this movement so that the knowledge can be shared and people can get off on the right track from the beginning and uh, have much better success. Um, and let me share this statement here. This is another one that really spoke to me. Whenever man accomplishes anything, whether in spiritual or in temporal lines, 
he should bear in mind that he does it through cooperation with his maker. Our work as gardeners, farmers, is a work of cooperation. There is great necessity for us to realize our dependence on God. Too much confidence is placed in man, too much reliance on human inventions. There is too little confidence in the power which God stands ready to give. We are laborers together with God. Immeasurably inferior is the part which the human agent sustains. But if he is linked with the divinity of Christ, he can do all things through the strength that Christ imparts. I have much more that I could share with you and I'm going to wind it up. I'm going to share one more experience with you. But I really want to encourage you, depend on the Lord. The Lord is there to teach us. The Lord is there to, um, to make our plants grow. We do a very small part. We put the seed in the ground. But who made the seed? Who supplies the electricity to make it germinate and to, and to grow? Who sends the sun? Who provides the water? You know, all these life forms in the, in the soil that, that have symbiotic relationships with the plants. Who created those things? Who do they obey? We're in our sixth year of farming. And I had the most incredible experience this year because I still believe, and Ellen White makes a statement, that we should follow the biblical laws for agriculture. And one of them is to give the land rest on the seventh year. And so I committed to doing that, and um, I just trusted that the Lord will do what he has said to do, that he would do, he would take care of us and provide. But I didn't really expect it to work out that well. There were several reasons I got delayed into the season, a very late start, and um, anyway, I was just praying that the Lord would, would bless as he had before, but I didn't even have the workers that I needed, and, and it just didn't look like it was going to be a very good season. But I kept praying, and one of the things that I, I, I pray now is, Lord, you send me the workers that you want me to have. I want cheerful workers. I want kids that want to be there. And we run the farm, just myself, I'm the only staff, and then with students. And so um, sometimes it's really hard to find students that want to work in the heat, in the summer, hard work when they can work elsewhere, cushy, easy jobs that are in air-conditioned buildings and so on. And so I really prayed, and the Lord sent me a really good team. And then he did something amazing. He promised that he would, in the sixth year... Do you know what he promised to do? Right. To really bless and give you an abundance that would carry you through. I didn't expect that to happen. Little faith. But this particular year, and it doesn't make logical sense to me, because think about it. If the land needs rest, why does it need rest? What, what, when we need rest, what what's the condition we're in? We're worn out, we're tired, right? So in the sixth year, does it make sense that it should produce more than a regular year? It doesn't make sense. But I believe that God wants to show himself powerful and show that he is the one that fulfills his promises. And, um, and even though the land is tired and needs resting, it will produce more than a normal year. And so... 
um, we started out the season and I thought it was going to be much lower than the previous season because of the late start and there were other factors in, involved. And um, anyway, as it turned out, we had just such a bumper crop and we started delivering this, this, this produce and, and we were delivering four times a week. We, we do wholesale. We don't do the um, you know, CSA or the market, uh, um, what do you call it, um, farmer's market. And um, so we're delivering to all our customers. We have four, 14 different customers in the community that are mostly stores and restaurants and so on. Doing these deliveries and we would harvest and you couldn't see where we harvested. It was like we'd harvest and we had the, this full-size, you know, American tank van full of uh, produce and we take it and people that were coming and looking at the farmer said, why aren't you harvesting the produce? And I heard that comment, o comment over and over again. We are, we, we're harvesting and we're filling the van and, and we're harvesting continually. And they said, but look at all this produce. And week after week after week, normally, um, we would, our season, you know, we would be over cucumbers. I don't know how many of you grow, have grown cucumbers, but, you know, they, they produce strong for a month and then they taper off and, and, you know, don't continue strong after that. But the Lord impressed me to do a, a succession planting, which I did. But we start, we, our cucumbers went strong from June, beginning of June, all the way through to middle of October. And just just an incredible amount and even after there were so many cucumbers on the ground there were so many cucumbers left over we just couldn't sell them all the other thing the lord did was there was a deli that um, was part of a store a co-op that we had been supplying that out of the blue just called me up and said uh could we buy seconds from you i said sure what do, you know what do you want and he said well cucumbers okay we have cucumbers and you know they weren't all good enough for, for market and usually we were giving them away to, to the food bank and um, they were grateful to get them. But um, anyway, they ended up buying cucumbers, so many cucumbers and then they wanted zucchini and, and uh, they wanted just so many different things that we were growing. They ended up adding $12,000 of extra income to the farm just from seconds that we normally would have just given away. and. We were still able to exceed our previous year's donations to the food banks. Um, in fact, they told us no more, we can't take more, you know, because we gave them so much. And it was just incredible for me to see how the Lord answered his or, or fulfilled his promise to uh, pour out a rich blessing. I was just totally blown away. And I, I just couldn't help but thank him every day for what he was doing. It kept me so busy. I've never had such a busy summer, but it was just amazing to see what God would do. How many of you have read um, a book called The Seventh Day Ox? Have you, a few of you have seen that book. It's incredible. If you haven't seen, read that book, I encourage you to read it. I was thinking, Lord, what did, how did you make this happen? What did you do? Well, let me give you a, a brief glimpse of the story of The Seventh Day Ox. There was a, a pastor in Russia who was sent off to Siberia you know, to, to basically re-educate him and try to prevent, you know, stop him from... Uh, spreading the gospel and so on. And he was put into forced labor. He refused to work on Sabbath. And so they, they put him in this wooden crate where he was all curled up and left him in there for weeks and tried to force him into, um, you know, to, to uh, giving up his faith. And he wouldn't. And um, anyway, he should have died. It was only the Lord keeping him uh, alive. 
But one day, um, they finally agreed to let him have the Sabbath on one condition. His job was to take the, uh, the ox and the cart and the empty barrels that they needed for water and go, uh, forget how many miles it was, a number of miles off to a well, pump them full of water, bring them back, and it was all he could do every day to just bring enough to supply the next day's need. And um, they said, okay, you can have Sabbath off, but you have to bring enough water back um, to, you know, to, to supply Sabbath, otherwise you can't have Sabbath off because we need the water. And uh, so he prayed about it, and he thought, well, if I could just get one barrel extra every day, then I could accumulate you know, enough to, uh, to carry us through on the Sabbath. And he whipped that ox and he tried to get that ox to move and it just would plod at its regular pace all the way to the well. And um, he couldn't and he was getting really discouraged. Friday came around and he thought, oh no, you know, what's going to happen on Sabbath? I'm going to be put back in the box, you know, and um, closed up there or something. And so anyway, come Friday, he starts going for, for the, um, the water and the ox starts running he could barely keep up with them running behind. And all day long, that ox just ran to the well. They filled up and back, and they got, at the end of the day, they had enough water for Sabbath. And week after week after week, that ox ran every Friday, um, and he was able to keep the Sabbath. And that was a powerful testimony to those atheists, you know, there at that camp, that the Lord honors his people. He honors his, those who will keep his Sabbath day. And I thought about that story as I was thinking, Lord, what did you do to make our farm produce? We didn't have like, you know, extra, extra crops in significantly to, you know, to, to have the extra produce. We didn't do anything really differently. And um, then I thought about that story. You know, there's all kinds of life forms in the soil that have symbiotic relationships with the plants. The plants obey the Lord, just like those life forms. I thought, I bet the Lord was telling them to, like that ox, to work harder, to go faster and to produce more. And um, that's the only explanation that I can give, but it was absolutely amazing. And I can tell you, it's an incredible experience to work with the Lord, to depend on him and to pray about everything that you need in the garden and every difficulty that you're facing. The Lord will help you to solve it. It might take you another year to, you know, to, to, to implement what you need. But the Lord will teach us year by year, week by week, to become successful. And you will be so tremendously blessed. I know we've gone a little bit over time. that I, I shouldn't have gone as long. But let us pray and uh, thank the Lord for what he's going to do for each one of us. Loving Father in heaven, I am so humbled to think that you, the great God of the universe, would actually stoop so low to send your son to this world to die for us, to pay the price for our sins. But then beyond that, Lord, not only to give us your great plan of salvation, but then to work with us in the garden and to, to give us such an amazing experience that changes our lives, that changes the lives of our kids, that changes lives of people who are sick, that... Uh, does so many things. Thank you that we have the privilege of working with you in this way. And I pray that you will bless every single person that has come here to this conference, that you will show them very clearly the path that you are leading them on. I pray that you will please give them great wisdom to move cautiously and carefully, especially those who are wanting to go into full-time farming, 
that uh, it will be very carefully and well planned out according to your guidance. And uh, Father, thank you for uh, pulling this all together for this uh, special time. Bless us with a good night's rest now and um, wake us tomorrow so that we can spend the day with you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.